Greetings, everyone. Welcome. My name is Andy Neal, and you're listening to The Hiker Podcast. What's up, hikers? This is Andy. Thanks for joining me this week. I know last week we didn't have an episode, and I'm going to talk more about that here pretty soon. But I just want to thank you all for messaging me this last week, um, checking on me. As you know, in Southern Oregon, we had some incredible, incredibly horrid um, fire events, as the entire state of Oregon and the entire West has had. Washington and Oregon and California. And we had particularly dry and windy weather. And we've had a particularly dry summer. And it was a crazy time. And we'll get more into that here soon. But I just wanted to thank you all for listening, taking the time to listen to the Hiker Podcast. There's no real great way to begin a segment like this, to transition to a segment from a sponsor, who a sponsor who I love and who is pledge that they will they will help with relief from these wildfires um last week I, I was planning on recording i had interviews recorded or interviews scheduled to record and um because the wind started blowing and power went off a few times i went ahead and canceled those and then soon fire erupted in our area and uh we were finding ourselves packing bags getting ready to to bug out while friends Close friends and acquaintances were losing their homes in Phoenix and Talon, Oregon. So it's been an incredibly crazy week for me and my family, which I'll talk more about here soon. But I just want to thank you all for listening to the Hiker Podcast, for supporting me, for all your wonderful messages. We're going to go ahead and just get into our, our segment with, with Sawyer. Sawyer is doing amazing work all around the world, and we will talk about a little bit about what they're doing Um with helping people find clean water, which you don't realize how important that is until in, in, here in Southern Oregon, because of the fires, so many friends had to boil their water and they didn't have access to clean water. And I, I just thought, wow, how fitting is it that we're, we're talking about that with Sawyer this week about getting clean water to areas and how important clean water is when I had friends, you know, who were in the evacuation zone and were able to go home, but they couldn't drink the water because the, the power was out and the pumps weren't working. And it's, it's incredibly important. Water is and Sawyer's doing incredible work around the world to bring clean water to those who need it. So right now we're going to transition into the Sawyer segment. We're going to talk with peanut from Sawyer and what they're doing to bring clean water around the world. Hey, what's up there, hikers? It's Andy here, and I'm here with this week's Sawyer segment where we talk with Sawyer products, the makers of the filter and the repellent. And the reason I wanted to partner with Sawyer is they're not just trying to sell you a bunch of stuff. They're actually about what the Hiker Podcast is. The trail has changed us, so we're changing the world. Um, and it's making your story possible, what Sawyer's doing. Uh, but Sawyer is not just making filters, they're changing the world with 
project in West Africa, in the West African country of Liberia with their clean water project. And I have Andrew Glenn, also known on the trail as Peanut, with from Sawyer. And uh, Andrew, tell us about what Sawyer's doing in Liberia, West Africa. Yeah, it's, uh, it's really exciting. So we have partnered with uh, one of our uh, number of charities, uh, the, the Last Well. So we have partnered with The Last Well to bring clean water to the last 20% of Liberia that pretty much everyone said was impossible to reach. Um, Liberia will be the first developing country to have certified clean water border to border. Uh, and that's that project is going to come to completion at the end of this year, 2020. Uh, so lots to celebrate there. So what were some of the dangers um, before Sawyer came in there to bring clean water? What, what, was, what were people in the country of Liberia having to do to get clean water? What did that process look like? Right, definitely. Uh, so before, I mean, if they had water in their local communities, I mean, they, they might have had access to water, but it definitely wasn't clean. So we uh, ran, ran a study before uh, we started incorporating our filters and out of 23,000 houses tested, 36% reported frequent diarrhea in their household. Um, two weeks later, we started incorporating the filters and then that number went down from 36% to 2.9. And then eight weeks later, it was down to less than 1.5%. And so a lot of their dangers yeah, were around diarrhea and then um, but also just harmful, uh, harmful waterborne diseases that can impact lifespan and um, just the, the entire community. So how has the quality of life for the people who have these filters, how has that changed now having access to clean water? Right, for sure. So, uh, I mean, before the fil- before this project uh, started, they had very, very little access to clean water. And then now uh, they're drilling around 2000 wells. And so they have uh, local spots to, to get clean water in their community, but then they're also using over 130,000 uh, Sawyer filters as the filter of choice for all of these, like uh, the application in these rural areas. And so, uh, I mean, the access to clean water, which means they aren't using plastic bottles. So plastic bottles aren't filling up their waste. Uh, it's good for their environment. They're breathing a little bit cleaner air and they're not having to boil water either. Um, so it's saving costs. Um, we, we see uh, a return of jobs because people aren't sick. We see just return of quality of health, people, uh, students back in education. Um, it's, it's really exciting how clean water can impact many different facets of someone's life it's amazing to see how uh, those of us in in the west you know we take that for granted that you know you you turn on your faucet and clean water comes out and sawyer's been making an incredible impact on on getting access to clean water to people who need it um the, the filters that are used how are they different than what i would go buy at my local outfitter right so they are actually using it's the exact same technology uh exact same filter um same it, our filters are derived from kidney dialysis and so it's the same technology that's driving that um they are they're using a bucket system so the filter gets has a little bit uh wider of a of a face and then 
uh, uses gravity uh, with the bucket system to filter clean water. And it's the exact same filters really that are using, that we're using on trail that we're using over there. And those filters are lasting 10 plus years. I mean, we have filters that we installed uh, in, uh, implemented into these communities 10 years ago that are still being used today with proper upkeep and backwashing. And um, it's cool to see how it's a part of their daily life. They refer to it as uh, the, the miracle filter, the miracle bucket, because um, yeah, these individuals, they didn't, didn't have clean water before. And then with a little, little blue guy, uh, they, get, they get clean water. That is, that is awesome. So if somebody wants to hear more about what Sawyer's doing in Liberia or wants to support this effort, where would they go? Sure. They can go to uh, Sawyer.com and then they can find our international page from there with the blue tab in the left-hand corner, or they can just go to international.sawyer.com. Awesome. Andrew, thank you so much for this week's Sawyer segment, talking about what Sawyer's doing in Liberia, West Africa. Of course. I must say Sawyer has been incredible to work with. I cannot say enough good things about Sawyer. They're a company that they're about people. And I don't say that as someone who's being sponsored by them, who's gotten a box full of swag from them and, you know, who, you know, who shows sponsored by them. I'm saying that as someone who has seen what they, they do has talked to the people who work there, who's gotten to know them and they're just an incredible company. And they've, reached out to me and they're looking at the best ways to help out with the uh, fire relief here in the Pacific Northwest and and they're just an incredible company so if you're looking for a company that's doing incredible work on the world Sawyer is definitely it as many of you guys know uh, there was no episode last week I had to end up calling the episode uh, like I talked about earlier oh goodness um, I had several interviews scheduled last Tuesday September 8th but power was going in and out. Electricity was going in and out because of high winds that day. There was a red flag warning and it was particularly dry. We had record high temperatures. It was hot. It was dry. It was windy. It was like a, putting a blow dryer on your face. And so with the power going in and out and knowing what the weather forecast was, I ended up having to cancel those interviews. I was like, hey, we're, our power is going in and out all day. Chance for wildfires here. We're, let's go ahead and cancel that. We can reschedule. Everybody was cool about it. Little did I know, right after that, I had to take my son um, to the bus stop. He goes to a, uh, a special needs day school in Ashland, and we I, I dropped him off. And um, as he is being taken to Ashland, he sees smoke from a fire being started north of Ashland. And I could begin to see the smoke from my, my office window here in my home. And little did we know that 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 grass fire would turn into one of the most devastating disasters in, in Southern Oregon. The Alameda Drive fire started on Alameda Drive, which would subsequently drive north towards Talon, Oregon and Phoenix, Oregon, destroying those towns over 2,700 homes were destroyed in those two towns. Um, 
many homes at Ashland, and it got into South Medford as well. It was an incredibly scary day as embers were flying and we had other fires start not far from my own home. We had to begin to pack. We had to, luckily, we already had go bags ready and um, we were um, just getting ready for the, the call to evacuate. As the day went on, we had friends and family having to evacuate, getting ready to evacuate. Our neighbors were getting ready to evacuate. At the same time, while our neighbors were getting, to evacu- getting ready to evacuate, other neighbors were receiving people who evacuated from Ashland Phoenix Talent in South Medford. My son would usually come home in the afternoon, but they couldn't get the buses out of Ashland because Interstate 5 was closed and Highway 99 was closed, and those were the only ways to get north or south within the Rogue Valley. He would end up being stuck there until about 11 o'clock when, for a short window of time, Interstate 5 was open. And after two other attempts, on my third attempt, I was able to get on the 5 and get to his day school where the staff there was amazing and kept kept him calm and cool. And I'm so thankful to the staff at my son's school who are just amazing people and they're saints. And yes, I owe them all coffee and, and blessings and good kind words and just amazing people on the way out to Ashland as I was driving on the five quickly I'm, I'm seeing the fires of, of, of talent in Phoenix Oregon those cities just in a glow two distinct glows as those cities burn on the way back after I got my son we got in the car we rushed home knowing that at any point interstate five could close again and we might be stuck in Ashland and as that uh, being a prepared person I had my my brand new 55 liter hiking pack full with tent enough food for four days two ga- two gallons of water in the back along with a cooler with like a bunch of smart water bottles um, you, I was fully prepared to have to sleep in Ashland that night on air mattresses that I had gotten I was fully prepared for that and as I'm getting into Ashland, before we headed back, I, I began to see other homes ignite. And as I got my son, we, we turned around, we came back, rushing as quickly as we could. There were homes, homes, places people lived that on my way there were standing and the fire was not there. And then the fire was there and taking these homes away. And um, embers began to fall and people are driving erratically all over the, the interstate. And it was crazy, and I'm, I'm thankful to the universe that we were able to get home, get home safely. It was about 11.30 by the time we got home. Um, but what we went through was, was, was so small in comparison to, you know, the countless people who lost their homes in Ashland, Phoenix, Talent, and, and South Medford. How this fire has disproportionately affected those in the Latinx community who resided in, in Phoenix and Talent. Um, disproportionately affected areas that were low in, lower income. And how entire neighborhoods and, and communities have just been wiped out. And I just want to remind everyone that you know, it's getting worse. I've talked to so many firefighters this week. I mean, really over the last few years. 
who time after time they fight a large fire like this and they say the same things. This is a once in a hundred year event. This is strange. Or they say things like, fires just aren't acting the way they used to. Fire behavior is different now than it used to be five, ten years ago. And as those of us who love the outdoors and who love hiking, we have to take responsibility for protecting our public lands, protecting the forests, national forests, national parks around us, and doing what needs to be done to see them preserved and see them preserved correctly to protect the communities around those areas and make sure that we as human beings aren't encroaching too much on them. So take that as you will. I'm just thankful that there are a lot of people helping right now. That this tragedy, though horrific, has brought this valley together in a way I've never seen conservative and liberal you know every type of person socioeconomic status coming together to help those who, who need it who have lost everything and I mean everything I had the advantage in my home of having you know preparation for a level one evacuation there are people in Phoenix Oregon who didn't get the benefit of a level one or level two evacuation order. It was level three, go now. And they grabbed their wallet, a handful of stuff, and they got out of there with a lot of them just the clothes on their back. And if you'd like to help with relief for the Southern Oregon fires, I'm going to talk a little bit at the end of the show about where you can go to help. There's so many different organizations that are doing incredible work. And uh, here we're, we're, we're partnering with the Phoenix Town School District, who has direct contact with so many of these families, who they they estimate that half of their families they work with in their district have completely lost their homes. With that, I did have a plan this week to have Josh Pulade, who is the fastest known time holder for the Oregon Coast Trail. Um, he's been very patient. We've had to rearrange his his um, his episodes a few times now. But with what's going on, I thought I'd bring back Kristen Babs from the Oregon Department of Forestry's Keep Oregon Green campaign. Kristen Babs has been a great friend of the show. She was our very first guest on the show. And we talk about what's been going on in Oregon, what these fires mean, what just everything that's been going on the last week. And I encourage you to just sit back and listen. Uh, she knows so much about what's going on here in Oregon and how it affects, you know, the rest of the rest of the West and how it affects us as hikers and the safety precautions we now need to take, knowing that for all intents and purposes, the Pacific Crest trail and many other trails are closed for the season. You look at the, the PT, PCTA's website this long list of closures, the, the trail is pretty much closed for the year, at least. So with that said, uh, I'd like to introduce Kristen Babs of the Oregon Department of Forestry's Keep Oregon Green campaign as we talk about these Southern Oregon and Oregon wildfires.
So it feels like we just had you on a few months ago talking about wildfire prevention. And Kristen, here we are again, um, two months later, and it has been a tragic and epic, in the worst kind of ways, fire season in a very short amount of time here in Oregon and the West. How are you doing today, Kristen? And how's your family doing in, in the midst of all this stuff that's going on in Oregon, the smoke, the fires? How are you doing right now? It's, it's devastating. Um, and, and, you know, each, each fire season, we prepare for the worst case scenario. Um, personally speaking, my family um, is kind of scattered up and down the Willamette Valley. Uh, I live here and our office is here in, in Salem, and so we're okay. But, you know, our friends and family, um, basically, as, we, as, as I speak broadly, and our fellow Oregonians right up the canyon from us, that's a different situation, obviously, and then uh, up and down the valley and, and throughout Oregon. So it's just a scary, scary time. And uh, um, like I said, this is the moment that we prepare for. Yeah. So this this last two weeks seem to have been, lack of a better term, the perfect storm in Oregon, Washington, California, for these wildfires to really take a hold. We've had some of the six, I heard even California, six of the 10 largest wildfires in their history all happened this year. Almost a million acres in Oregon have burned. Um, the entire West Coast is covered in hazardous or very unhealthy smoke and and pollution because of the, 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 the wildfires. What was it about this last week that made it the perfect storm for these particular fires? Well, I can speak to Oregon's fire environment specifically. Um, August is typically the peak month for high fire activity. And it's when we see the dry lightning storms pass through. And at the same time, we're seeing a lot of human cross fires. Uh, and then going into September, the fuels are obviously still bone dry, but the thunderstorm and the uh, the thunderstorms and the lightning tend to to drop off sharply. And any new fire starts are largely due to human activity, mm-hmm. and that's the case for the remainder of the season. And so, you know, officials were aware of the excessive heat wave predictions. Those warnings were starting in August, um, late August, around the 29th or so. We were looking at two straight weeks of hot weather and then right in the middle of that was a busy labor day weekend yeah we knew we were going to have people on the roads traveling from point a to point b we were going to have packed campgrounds or people were going to be choosing to stay home and maybe work around the house using power equipment so we were really worried that the heat conditions could create a potential for large fire growth of existing fires on the landscape as well as the potential for new ones So we reached out and worked with our state and federal agency partners to alert all Oregonians that we could possibly be breaking heat records and that we really needed the public to support their local fire service and all the wildland firefighters um, by taking every precaution to prevent accidental starts that could escalate into something really big. And everyone was echoing and amplifying that message. It was an all-hands-on-deck moment. We were bracing ourselves for another week of heat starting on Labor Day, but then those new forecasts over the weekend were calling for these really strong east and northeast winds and low humidity starting on Monday night going through Tuesday night, and then that was later extended to Wednesday, but 
With the combined heat and the already dry conditions, this new wind forecast made any location in Oregon ripe for fire and uh, and high fire spread. So um, all of the meteorologists were talking about this wind event. All of the agencies were talking about it on social media and what it meant for fire behavior. Um, and like you said, it just it just all came together when it did. Yeah, it was quite insane. I have a, a little notification um, thing on my phone that tells me anytime there's an emergency in my area. And then that Tuesday morning, this last Tuesday morning, I started seeing all these notifications for power lines arcing, power lines arcing, um, different areas around the Rogue Valley and in Southern Oregon. And then all of a sudden this small little grass fire uh, became the Alameda fire in, in Ashland. And it was small. And we were like, oh, okay. And then all of a sudden, talent, the talent, Talents are completely in flames, and then Phoenix is completely in flames, and and then you had the Obachain fire north of us. So you could that night you could see the glow from the Eagle Point Obachain fire, and then you could see it from the south. It was such a surreal thing. And living right by the airport, there was this constant drone of the the tankers taking off and more tankers coming in, and it was very surreal day with the, with the winds blowing as hard as they were. Um, and then of course, me and my family had to prepare for evacuations. We had. Um, you know, family and other parts of the Rogue Valley having to evacuate because other fires are starting along our Greenway. If you don't, if you're in the Rogue Valley, we have this thing called the Greenway that runs through the Rogue Valley, which is where yep. a lot of the fires started, unfortunately, which is something our politicians here are, are trying to figure out how to deal with that. Um, mm. But we got these evacuation levels one, two, and three. We had people who were leaving Phoenix Talent and going to, say, Central Point, and then they were having to evacuate again. So they went up to Grants Pass. Um, what are all these evacuation levels mean? You have the, the evacuation level one, two, and three. At one point, all of Jackson County down here was on level one. What do they mean, and what should someone do if they if they get a notification they're in an evacuation level? So we don't want those levels to be confusing. Level one, two, and three are equivalent to ready, set, go. Okay. And um, level one is be ready. That means... Uh, frequently monitoring the fire situation by listening to, and I'm going to emphasize this, a trusted local news source. Yes. If you have people or pets with special needs, you should be taking necessary precautions at this level to to, to prepare them and, and possibly move them if needed at this stage. Um, and then if it, if it ramps up to a level two, that means be set. And, and that's an indication that there's significant fire danger to your area and that you need to be prepared to evacuate at a moment's notice. Um, so people can also voluntarily relocate to a shelter or with family and friends outside the affected area. Um, I encourage people that if you feel like you should evacuate, don't wait for the knock from the sheriff's office. Um, it's, mm -hmm. it's emergency responders they may not have time to provide you with additional notice if the fire danger increases. I mean, as you mentioned, there were fires breaking out all over your area. We were seeing them break out all over Oregon. It was really hard to keep up with there for a while. So if you feel a threat is imminent, just, just go ahead and, and go. Um, but, but then if you ramp up then to a level three, um, that's go now. And, and if you're stalling or if you're packing belongings in this stage, it's putting you in danger. It means level three means go now. Uh, we can't emphasize that enough. And it, it, it's been really kind of sad to see people who've 
stuck around and, and they refused to leave. And it, unfortunately, tragedy struck because they just couldn't leave their home or they didn't think it was that big of a deal. You see that a lot of times with these fires. And it's really important to to keep informed with what's going on. Now, you mentioned a trusted news source. Um, what is What would be a trusted news source? I'm assuming, you know, my friend's Facebook page probably isn't a trusted news source. What were, what were some of the things you, we could look at to be like, this is a place where I could get accurate, up-to-date, as, as possible, information on what's happening with a fire or the fire situation? Your local, your local radio stations, your local emergency management, um, Twitter accounts or Facebook accounts, um, your, your local TV news stations, those would be trusted news sources, agency information that's being put out. Uh, through through social media, fire department information. Those are trusted news sources. So you're, you're actually your actual you know, your ABCs, your NBCs, your CBSs, the ODF accounts, the, the Oregon Department of Forestry, Facebook accounts, Forest Fo- Service, Forest Service. Yeah. So those would be places. Your local police department, Twitter, and Facebook accounts. Not my 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 friend said this, that, and the other thing, and yeah, you, you don't want to do that. So these Jackson County, Josephine County, etc. Yeah, absolutely. So it's been said, oh, oh, kind of it's been a little conversations that have been happening around the areas. Who names these fires? And we have the Obachain fire and the Alameda fire here. Of course, there's the Slater fire not far from here. How do these fires get named? Um, typically, dispatch in the district that are responding to the fire, they use the closest geographic feature or a landmark or a road or a milepost. You've seen, you know, like, Last summer it was milepost ninety seven. Yep. Um, names names can be changed along the way to reduce confusion. Um, and then I think as we you know probably as you've seen just progressing in the last uh, week we've you know like for example if you have two fires that merge maybe a team comes in and they they pick one of the fires names or or rename the fire entirely. Um, sometimes if there's multiple fires burning in a in an area maybe they're near each other but they're not touching each other they kind of draw this circle around them all and then relabel it as a complex i've seen that a few times um yeah and right so complex is just a lot of little scattered fires in the same area that are managed by one team um so that's typically how they're named you're gonna you'll you'll recognize them in a local area you'll 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 recognize where that fire is just based on the name it makes sense and and, uh, people are asking why is you know the Almeda fire is called the Almeda fire when it burned through Talon Phoenix. It started in North Ashland off Almeda drive. Same with Obachain yeah. fire off Obachain road up near yeah. Eagle point makes total sense. Um, yeah. so the Oregon department of forestry, what, 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 what are they currently doing? What's their current status fighting and preventing future fires in 2020? I know there, I know resources are stretched thin. We've called in, you know, help from other states and even other countries. I, there's a crew from from um, Mexico here um, in Phoenix and Talent. What what is ODF doing currently to fight these fires? What is their current status? You know, they're doing what they would do on any fire. Um, they are known for, and they've had great success with their initial attack um, throughout their history, and especially this summer. Um, they were able to pounce on fires and put them out quickly at the smallest possible size. Um, <clears throat> during large events like this, they're going to bring permanent seasonal contract firefighters to this fire as well as private landowner resources. Um, ODF, like you said, they also reach out through the national system to other states, other regions to get resources. 
Uh, I've heard that we've got 27 states as far as the East Coast that are represented here in the Northwest region. Um, and like you said, along with crews from Mexico, Puerto Rico, uh, Canada, um, they've had helicopters and air tankers prepositioned to help, but unfortunately, due to the smoke and visibility challenges, they've had trouble getting in the air. So they've been turning to heavy equipment and fire crews, uh, hand crews to get to get in there and reforce control lines, um, establish contingency lines on the ground. ODF, they've, they've had teams directly managing the Echo Mountain Complex fire. They're on the 242 fire and the Archie Creek fire. And they've, uh, the state has activated and deployed the National Guard members and their overhead to these three fires. They've also got Black Hawk helicopters that are ready to fly. Uh, and they'll be ready to go when the smoke clears. And then um, in addition to that, ODF is training folks at Camp Rylea. They're getting them ready to step in and help around September 21st or so to relieve some other firefighters and give folks a really needed break. So there's a lot of help in the background um, in addition to what we're doing here in Oregon. It's been amazing to watch the Oregon Department of Forestry, the local the, the local assets, the volunteer assets, the, the out-of-state international assets working and working so seamlessly and in a very difficult, difficult situation. Um, I know the there was a, the fire, I can't remember the name of it, that broke out near Central Point uh, while the Oba chain and the Alameda fire was going. If we didn't have all those resources here already, um, yeah. helicopters especially, those fires could have gotten out of control very quickly. Um, Luckily, that fire was literally a quarter mile from the airport. So the, I was watching these planes literally take off and drop before they even completed their ascent and then turn back around. It was insane what I was seeing. I, 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 yeah. Oh, gosh, it was it was crazy. Um, and yeah. I'm so thankful to, to them. I, I have friends right now who, who've gone to college with who are fighting these fires, who are volunteering these, these as firefighters. It's been insane to watch. But now, as things seem to seem to be dying down a little bit. The temperatures have dropped. It looks like I just had a friend from Vancouver email me and said, hey, we have rain coming here and it's moving south and rain's coming, which is desperately needed. Um, yeah. But throughout the region, as places like Detroit, Oregon, Phoenix, Oregon, Town, Oregon are, are grappling with having lost their towns, essentially, the area is blanketed with smoke. Yeah. So what is the best thing for people to do, people to do who are in an area where the smoke is above unhealthy. What should we be doing to keep ourselves and our respiratory system and our children and our pets safe? The best advice right now is to stay indoors as much as possible and limit your exposure. Um, smoke can trigger health effects uh, and that can show up within a few days or even a week or two later. Um, definitely check in with your doctor if you have respiratory illnesses. You want to discuss prevention, you want to discuss treatment. And then um, there are a lot of great sources for um, checking air quality maps. Oregon Blogspot has, has great um, information. Uh, DEQ is another great source. Air Quality Now. There, there are a lot of different apps that you can even add to your phone just to be able to check air quality uh, at your fingertips. So that's really the, the best advice is just to stay indoors if you can. So we shouldn't be going out hiking right now, I assume. Hiking would not be advisable right now. <laughs> For several reasons. Plus, the, plus, we've got closed public land, so yeah, exactly. that's a double whammy. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll talk more about that in a minute, but yeah, everything's closed. You shouldn't be out. You're breaking the law if you're out right now, essentially, on the trails. Yeah. Um, so with all the different things that have happened, uh, all the different 
fires and tragedies. What can people all around the country and world do to help in these current efforts, either financially or as a volunteer or getting the word out? What, what can people do to help right now? So we, I just learned in the past few days, um, if you have equipment or maybe if you if you're a trained firefighter, um, ODF can actually place you on a resource list. They have a website that just went up. It's running now. Um, they're ready to gather your information uh, about you or about your equipment. So, so that's one way that you can help. I've had a lot of people calling asking either, you know, they say that I'm, I'm not trained. How can I assist? Or I've got, I'm ready to go. How can I assist? I can help out on the fire line. So, so ODF can help you in that regard. But, um, you know, I, I think financially donations could be made to the Red Cross, uh, and that would be the Cascades chapter, I believe, or, or the United Way. Uh, they can put resources where they're needed most in the local communities. And then the Oregon Office of Emergency Management has a what's called a Volunteers and Donations Portal on their website. And so you can go there and register as an individual. You could register as a business or an agency. And then that portal allows you to prov- you can provide donations or volunteers, or you can go through that portal and request donations or volunteers. Um, and then I know that um, during one of the governor's press conferences, um, the director of OEM said that you can go to uh, www.orvoad.org uh, for a list of disaster relief organizations in Oregon. So I will say that again because it's I had to scramble to write it, but it's www.orv as in Victor, O-A-D as in dog, dot org. Um, and that's that's a list that's provided throughout the state. And we'll have that under the description of this podcast as well if anybody wants to find out what resources um, are needed to help or want to help um, during this during unprecedented time in, in Oregon history. We've never had fires like this. I've talked to so many firefighters. They, they say they've never seen anything like this and never seen fires act like this before. Um, and we are in the height of, height of uh, wildfire season. And I feel like we had this conversation back in back in late June. Um, <laughs> but what should we be doing right now to prevent future fires? Well, um, you know, as far as prevention goes, whether you're at home, whether you're out working, whether you're out and about, which might be challenging right now, we're still seeing illegal burning of debris piles. That is not allowed during fire season. Um, please cover that pile with a tarp and just wait until fire season is over and the rains are back. Uh, we're seeing people use power equipment at the wrong time of day, and that has the possibility of sparking a fire. It's super important to check with your local fire authority with regard to restrictions on any activity, but specifically power equipment. Uh, we're also still seeing tow chains dragging on the pavement, sending sparks into nearby vegetation. We're still seeing hot cars parked or idling over tall dry grass starting fires. Uh, people are out there target shooting and they don't realize that hot bullet fragments and dry grass can start a fire. So. Those are just a few examples, and um, I would encourage folks to go to our website, keeporegongreen.org, learn more about the common activities that start fires and the ways to prevent them. Um, Honestly, it's my personal mission to make camp stoves more popular than campfires. 
specifically, especially after the Labor Day weekend, I want to make the morning campfire a thing of the past. Uh, people have been lighting fires in the morning for whatever reason, for heat or for cooking, I don't know. But but then they've got their whole day's activity ahead of them. So you've got a, a raging fire that you've got to put out by 11, either before you're off and doing what you're doing or you're you're leaving your campground for home. And I also want folks to know that it takes at least a five-gallon bucket to completely extinguish that fire. Um, and we haven't been seeing that enough. I just I get complaint after complaint from camp posts saying, yeah, people are taking off, you know, in the morning. They've lit that campfire in the morning. They take off and they haven't put it out. It's either fully, fully flaming or it's they just haven't extinguished it completely. So, which is it's insane to me. I remember seeing last week before all this started, there was a, a section PCT hiker who was hiking and taking video every time he came up to a campsite and there was still a smoldering fire that someone had left during the day. He had like three or four in a day. It's just, it, it, it's so simple. If you, if you don't have the water, don't light the fire. Exactly. The, you know, douse it till it's dead. And I, and it was, what's, what's ironic about this is I had just picked up my hiking stove Tuesday from REI, right as things were starting to get going. Cause I was, I'm supposed to be hiking a section of PCT this weekend. And, it's obviously not going to happen. And it's so easy to have those camp stoves, those hiking stoves. It's which we can't even use those right now <laughs> because of, <Yeah. laughs> because of the fire danger. Um, but there has been a, several announcements that essentially right now, the entire Pacific Crest trail is closed. National forests campgrounds are closed for the season. Um, a lot of, I've heard a lot of people say, well, you can't keep me from going in the outdoors. They can't stop me. A lot of little chitter chatter on, on, you know, the Facebook groups, which isn't a great place to hang out right now. Um, but why is it important to listen to authorities about those closures? Even if it seems like the fires are out, it's fine. What, what are the dangers of hiking through a recently burned area, even though the fire is completely out? Well, many, you know, so we're talking federal and state lands. Many of these public lands are closed temporarily because, Oregon just can't sustain one more fire on the landscape right now. But as the fire risk to the state as a whole subsides, those closures are eventually going to lift. And it's in the aftermath of a fire that um, closures are there to protect the public from the hazards. You know, as firefighters work, they don't, they don't restore the landscape. As they're doing their job, their priority, right, is to put the fire out. So it's, it's in the aftermath that other agency personnel come in and conduct assessments of those burned areas. They identify and figure out how to mitigate those hazards, and that takes time. They're talking about, you know, removing hazard trees along roads uh, and in communities. That, that kind of hazard work is going to come first, and then, and then they're going to move on to areas like campgrounds or viewpoints or other high-traffic areas. And then they get to the trails, right? But there, there could be hundreds of miles of trails. Yep. And you're looking at rocks. You're looking at debris that needs to be cleared. Um, the trails themselves could be unstable and fail without that vegetation that was there to provide that stability in the first place. Mm -hmm. So the restoration, it, it requires extra staffing and funding and time. And it just, it just takes time. And... Um, and it's a challenge and it can be frustrating and we understand the public's frustration, but it's really with their safety in mind and, and the safety of the personnel that have to go in there and do that work too. So, 
Exactly. I, one thing it's I, I, people have said to me several times is um, what we call in the hiking community widow makers. It's these fallen trees. Yep. You're walking through, and all of a sudden, you know, it's happened before. It's happened. We've heard about it happening recently. Uh, you're walking, all of a sudden, a tree just falls because this ground is unstable. Nothing's holding it there, and it's been a little bit of rain, and these trees just fall. So it's so important to stay. If the area is close, stay off the trails, stay out of the campsites. And uh, let let the officials do their jobs. And it is frustrating. These are public lands, and we would like to claim them as our own. But uh, it's for your safety and the safety of everyone around you that they have to stay closed. Yeah. So is there anything else um, that people can do right now just to help or prepare or or be informed about what's going on in Oregon and these fires? Um, You know... I, I want to talk about preparation. Uh, you know, we really push this at the beginning of fire season. Um, it's important for people to prepare for fire season before fire season, not in the middle of it. I encourage folks to put together an emergency go kit now. Do it now, even if you're nowhere near an affected area. Give it some serious thought because, you know, in an emergency, what are you going to take with you? We ask folks to think about what we call the seven P's of evacuation, people, pets, etc. Account for the accounting for people is priority one, um, and then you want to take care of your pets and your livestock. Um, think about your personal computer. Think about prescription medications. Think about important paperwork, photographs, and heirlooms. And then grab your cell phone. Make sure it's charged. You've got your contact list in there. Um, Work with your family, friends, and neighbors. Discuss an evacuation plan, uh, especially with all the members of your household. Um, Think about and designate a meeting place somewhere in the community or figure out a way that you guys could check in with each other during an emergency and have backups for backups. I've been talking to family members who are close to the Holiday Farm Fire. They didn't have internet and they didn't have cell phone capability. So self-service and internet could be down in your area and that could be hampering communication. So that's when that pre-planning, you know, I'm going to meet you at this park or, or whatever, you know, the, the Red Cross has a registry list to either list yourself um, so that you can be found or that list is searchable to check the, the status of your loved ones. Um, I just can't emphasize the preparation part of this enough. It just, it can't happen in the middle of an emergency. It has to happen beforehand. That, that is vital information. And I know for me and my family having, you and I having had this conversation back in July, we began that preparation. We had a go kit ready. Um, yeah, we had, we knew where all the important paperwork was. We had all the kids' birth certificates, everything in one place in a metal box. And we were able just to load that into the van and we just had yep. it ready to go. That's, it's so vital. It's just, it's a peace of mind instead of scrambling. And there still was for my family, plenty of scrambling. Um, as I told on the front end of, of this episode, how my son was stuck on the other side of the valley, and I, we were you know, definitely worried for him. Um, yeah. the, to have those things taken care of um, during an emergency like that is gonna is gonna really help in getting prepared to leave if you need to leave and and do what you have to do. Make sure your pets are taken care of. You have everything ready. So. Kristen, thank you so much. I know this has been a very busy week for you and take the time on here and just help our listeners understand what's going on in Oregon, what they as outdoors people and hikers can do to help and prepare and listen. Um, so just thank you so much. Yeah, I, I appreciate the work that you do and I appreciate your support of Keep Oregon Green and including us in your in your 
outdoor recreation conversations is just so, so, so important. Thanks, Andy. Thank you. Guys, thank you so much for listening. And again, thank you to Kristen Babs of Keep Oregon Green for, on a moment's notice, you know, agreeing to come onto the show. She has been extremely busy, as you can imagine, working for the Oregon Department of Forestry. You know, coordination, all the stuff that goes with that. Um, They're a busy bunch of people right now. And um, she knew it was important to get information and have a conversation about what's going on. Um, How... The fires are being fought and just, you know, put put good information out there. Another issue that we talked about on the interview, of course, was how there's just a lot of misinformation being put out there. And it's it's so important to get the right information from reliable news sources. So with that said, Kristen, thank you so much. And thank you all for listening to this week's episode of the Hiker Podcast and for supporting me and the show. I would encourage you, if you'd like to help with efforts to assist families who have lost everything here in Southern Oregon and Phoenix and talent. Uh, I encourage you to go to hikerpodcast.com at the top. There is a banner that says Southern Oregon fire relief. Uh, just click on there. It'll take you to the Phoenix talent school district, um, fire relief fund. The Phoenix talent school district estimates that over this point, half of their families that they work with in the district have lost their homes entirely. Um, that school district uh, has a high population of Latinx of the Latinx community, um, which has been disproportionately hurt by this this disaster. I encourage you to go there, donate. Um, there's also several other organizations. Um, United Way is doing great work. Um, so many amazing organizations that are doing great work. Also, Kristen had mentioned that you can go to orvoad.org uh, to find out how to help and help with the the relief efforts uh, here in Oregon. Um, Because not only Phoenix and Talent was, you know, completely destroyed. You have places like Detroit, Oregon, and so many other places that have just been devastated. The skies are black or a strange shade of orange. And as those of us who love the outdoors and who love the public lands, uh, it's important to know what's going on. So, Thank you all so much for listening. Uh, go hikerpodcast.com for all the links. Follow us on socials. And next week we will have Josh Pilate, uh, fastest known time holder for the Oregon Coast Trail on the show. And uh, have many others planned on coming. Um, just thank you so much. I didn't, I didn't really know how to go into this episode and, and navigate this. But uh, I'm so thankful that you all have been supportive of me and so many of you have DM'd me and checked on me so thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of The Hiker